the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. The views and opinions expressed by Rob Black and his guests are not necessarily those of KDOW or its management owners or advertisers and should not be construed as legal tax or investment advice. Always consult with the appropriate advisor before making any investment or financial planning decision. Good day, good day, and welcome in. Rob Black and your money. I'm Rob Black, talking all things financial money, invested in more. Stock market had its best run ever from 1995 through 1999 until the run that we've had from 2008 to the current market today. That's a pretty good period to be invested in. So if you happen to be born in the 60s or 70s and you happen to be an investor, you kind of hit things at the right time at the right place. Diversification was a real bad word back in the 1990s. You wanted all tech stocks. At one point in time, you wanted all financials, and then you wanted all tech stocks. Tech stocks had a massive run as we kind of came up with this whole internet 1.0 kind of thing. Yahoo, Excite. Do you remember Excite? They bought a company called At Home. At Home did these crazy fast modems. Cable modems. Wait, whoa, right? So you had a content company like Excite, which was kind of a poor man's Yahoo playing together with Excite, and it was a great time to invest. A lot of the companies went away. Oh, boy, that's a, that's a concept right there. Pets.com. Do you remember the Super Bowl ads where you had this, this sock puppet talking? And uh, Webvan, they'd bring groceries to your home. Now Safeway brings groceries to my home. I get an order for all the non-essential kind of things once a week, and I don't actually have to leave my house to go see people. So diversification was a bad word. I'll be honest with you. It's on occasion, I'll talk about stocks that just bore the hell out of people. And I get it. But they're not bad stocks. They can't all be Amazon, Microsoft, Google slash Alphabet. Still hate the name Alphabet. I like the company so much more if they went just back to the name Google. Um, but that's showing you how crazy and upsetting I am. So we've had two great periods of the stock market. Two great runs. And in between those two great runs, you've had two big pullbacks. And you know, a lot of people, I think I, I'm sarcastic in nature. Some people are pessimistic in nature. I've got a friend who his belly hurts and he goes to the doctor. I'm like, are you kidding me? You're the person who's ruining the healthcare system. Some people are pessimistic. They think they've got cancer and they're dying. They think they've got things that are horrible in their stomach that are going to kill them. I don't know. So that's the, th- the point. We've had two great stock markets sandwiched by, or sandwiched in between, I don't know what I'm trying to say there, but um, some underperformance. You know the best time to invest was the underperformance time. And people just don't have that mentality. I've gone through many recessions in my lifetime. Right now, we've gone 100 straight months of adding jobs in the United States. There ain't no recession in sight when you do that. It's not even in sight. Because as we're adding jobs, we're saying, you're going to have some extra money. And as you have extra money, maybe you'll say, I'm going to go to a restaurant. You're part of the economic activity. Or maybe now that you have a little bit extra money because you've had 100 straight months of growth in jobs, maybe you're saying, I'm going to open up a business. 
and the cycle is, is healthy and good. But at some point in time, we will go through a recession. I feel like I've lived through four or five recessions in my lifetime, and all I got is this stupid t-shirt to prove it. Right? You kind of, as soon as you become not impressed with it, it's fine. As soon as you become less anxious. Uh, recessions have, are, have been something we've learned how to manipulate. Typically by throwing a lot of debt at it. So we're not really solving the debt crisis in America. But what, anytime there's a recession and people lose their jobs, we're like, okay, we're going to have a jobs program. Oh, we're, we're going to have a transportation program. We're going to improve our roads. Something comes out. Do you remember cash for clunkers? Not the best idea, but got a lot of new cars on the road. A lot of new cars equals a lot of finance managers, a lot of uh, engineers working, a lot of manufacturing firing up the factories, a lot of steel being produced. So once you get the idea that a recession isn't going to kill you, it's not a boogeyman, it's not Jason Voorhees, it's not um, Freddy Krueger, recession, recession is okay. For the record, I love that first uh, Nightmare on Elm Street movie, but rewatching it is a pain. It's awful. But at the time, you're like, this is the greatest piece of horror noir ever created. When Johnny Depp's on his bed and uh, the girl's saying, don't fall asleep, don't fall asleep. And he's getting groggy and he's got his headphones on and he's listening to a TV. And you hear the you hear at one o'clock in the morning, the TV goes, this is station KRGR signing off. And I'm like, no, that's Kruger. It's in his head already. But recessions aren't the boogeyman. They're not bad. They're good. They're a way of flushing out. How shall we say the overabundances? So that's all good. If you can learn to live within your means, save some of your paycheck, and spend most of your paycheck, keep in mind the spend on your paycheck sometimes is, is it, it's brutal. Uh, if you're paying 20 to 30 to 40% of your paycheck into rent, how much is really left over when you throw in 10% taxes in the state of California on your income, 10% taxes on everything you buy in the state of California, and you throw down 30% into your mortgage? I mean, right there, you're looking at 50% before you've even paid federal taxes, right? So people get in trouble because they don't live within their paychecks. I've got credit cards, and I'll tell you what. When I got into credit card problems was when I was in college. You know why? Because I didn't have a paycheck. Never had credit card problems since. Failure to create and stick to a budget. I'm guilty of that one, but I make good money, so it's not that important to me. Failure to create and stick to a budget. You know what the, the budget killer is for me is when I go on vacations. You could, you could even have like a second home and you're like, it's all good. But then you go out to the restaurant in that second home and you're, you're going out to a top flight restaurant in a top flight part of the world, usually. So a lot of people get in trouble because they don't have cash. I had a tooth problem once that cost me about $6,000. That sucks. But I had the cash to, to, to like not stress about it. I didn't have to like, I got to sell my Apple. And then Apple goes on this historic run. I had cash for it. It was good. So this is where people get into problems. It's simple. How about goals? When you're 20, it's okay not to have goals. It's, it's okay to say, you know, I'm going to live some experiences. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to do stuff that I may not be able to do one day when I have a wife and kids. So it's okay to, to lose your 20s. But start saving a little bit of money. Start getting that emergency fund going. Start practicing adulting, as they like to say. In all my years of doing this, the people who end up getting into the worst situations economically... Typically, it's healthcare. They lose their job, they become disabled, and they they just it goes down fast. When you lose your job, you lose that income. When you're disabled, you need more healthcare. If you and then you drain your emergency funds fast if you don't have 
said job, right? So those are the people that I see the worst of it. And what's even sadder, and this is one of those human conditions that I learned in the last 20 years, some people like disability paychecks. Some people are like, well, the state of California sends me a check every month, so I'm not going to get a job. I'm like, it's not a lot of money, people. What we pay our disabled people in the, in the United States who can't work through disability insurance, it's not much. And you're never going to get ahead on that level. I'm not thinking getting ahead into all be all, but I'm also not counting to work, on, work until the day I die. So uh, these are the, uh, this is the math for you. How about updating your paperwork and your will? I once was married to another woman, and she was on my paperwork. And let's just say I, I, there's a divorce, we move on, and all my paperwork was in her name, and there's a new wife. I suddenly have a heart attack, because you know me. I'm a little bit puffy, and I like to go hard. And uh, long story short, I die, and the money goes to the first wife, the ex-wife. you got to update your paperwork. So I, I didn't really settle down until my mid-30s. A lot of short-term focus will erode you. You have to have short-term, medium-term, and long-term. You have to have plans. You have to have steps to go along the way. I think the best investors are run, uh, are long-distance runners because they get the concept of this. Is, we're in it for the long haul. If you could run 10 miles, you could become a great investor. I'm Rob Black talking all things financial money, investing more. Find me online at robblackshow.com. Want the podcast with music? Find the link to the other version of the podcast by going to Rob Black's Twitter. His handle is at Rob Black Show. Listen to Rob Black and Your Money weekday mornings, 7 to 9 on AM 1220 KDOW. Not one, but two topics I want to hit this segment. Coming up a little bit later in the show, we'll have Patrick O'Hare from briefing.com talking about stock markets. Two things I want to hit this segment. One is going to be President Trump, and the other is going to be about Valentine's Day. And Valentine's Day has a very, very powerful lesson about investing, as does Donald Trump. Tonight, we're going to get the 2019 State of the Union address. As a child, I hated it because it would always interrupt primetime TV. I was a kid who watched a lot of TV, right? So Trump finally delivered a speech that was delayed due to the government shutdown. So what is he going to tell us tonight? He's probably going to say some positives and some negatives, right? Um, Republicans are begging him not to talk about the U.S.-Mexico border wall dispute that he kind of lost on reopening the government. But that brings up the first question. Is he going to shut down the government again? We'll talk about that. The U.S. economy will be talked about. Infrastructure. When he was running for president, he said, I'm going to do a big infrastructure plan, biggest infrastructure plan. We're embarrassing as a nation. Our bridges and roads are falling apart. That's not my best Trump impression, but it is what it is, right? So these are the things that I know are going to be talked about, and maybe even drug pricing. So you have potentially a step up on the stock market tomorrow. Will the border wall dispute lead to another shutdown? Trump's been flirting with calling for a national emergency. Will he be able to contain himself? I don't know. I don't know. This is not a president that I could bet on, per se. Uh, I I can't game him. The American economy is still humming. It's doing great. So there's a pretty good chance he takes credit for that. Right? And we'll talk about it and dissect it tomorrow on whether he was right or wrong. I really want to know if he's going to go back to this infrastructure plan. And if he is, how's he going to pay for it? Are we just going to print money? Infrastructure plan 
kind of building your way to spur an economy. People that don't have jobs, you can give jobs to. Here, here's a shovel. Let's go build a road. Here's a hammer. Let's go build a, a, a bridge. Oh, and by the way, the road needs materials, as does the bridge. A lot of steel, a lot of aluminum, a lot of copper. So and that stimulates the economy. Now, again, if you're paying for it out of profits, that's one thing. But we as a nation don't pay for squat out of profits. Profits would probably be what we charge people in taxes, right? Well, that's the revenue, maybe. I'm trying to work with you on a little bit on this. But one thing that uh, I'm, I'm very certain of right now is drug companies are things that could get hit hard in the next couple of weeks. And definitely in the next presidential cycle. Trump's talked for years about the sky-high prices of prescription drugs, and he doesn't think it's fair. Pricing is not going to be a growth driver for companies anymore. Too much politics going after these guys. So you have to invest in pharmaceutical companies in the technology and not necessarily just the product and how much they're able to price it. There's going to be tougher new policies coming out of Washington. There's been too many situations where we've seen these like smart out CEOs used to sell a drug for 15 cents, now sell that same drug for $15,000. And House Democrats are saying, you know, we're, we're going to look into this. I don't like where this it is feels going. Like, it feels like a windfall. And they've got a list of companies that they're, they're very much so interested in slowing down. Now, some people look at that drug debate as Trump will get into it because it's kind of a populist thing. Your grandma has cancer. We're going to give your grandma some cheaper prescriptions to make sure she's, she's well-treated. Your uncle's got it. You get the idea, right? I think that's what's going to happen. Now, he's a tough president to call. So we'll see about tomorrow morning if uh, those four things are talked about. Let's have a report card ready for me. So it's Valentine's Day. It's right around the corner. And it's a super, super Super time. It's romantic, right? The romance of Valentine's Day. All the heart-shaped chocolates. All the heart-shaped chocolates in the world can't make love last. That's just my opinion. I know you're saying, are you that jaded? I am. So we can kill this. Let it We'll come back to it, and maybe we'll end the segment with it, because it's kind of appropriate, but it's kind of a little tough to talk over. vast majority of those in a recent poll said substantial credit card debt is a turnoff, and bad credit in general is a red flag not to date someone. So when you saddle up to dinner, you do the flowers, you do the chocolates, you're playing it right, she goes shopping for some surprises. Just don't get into, don't show them the credit card debt. Or wait till the 15th to tell them about the credit card debt, because it's a deal killer. More than a third of young adults, 38%, said they would not date someone with bad credit. I'll be honest with you, I'm, I'm kind of the same way. I totally get it. In one of the chapters of my books, I, I called it, I'll show you mine if you show me yours. And you're like, ooh, that's, that's sexy, right? Uh, credit report. I'll show you my credit report if you show me yours. It can show red flags. First and foremost, you're falling in love. You kind of need to know, is this person responsible? 
Maybe one day I'm going to have him be the father of my children. Let's see if in college he got really stupid and ran up credit card debt and didn't pay him back and got sued. It's all on the credit report. And you can get a free credit report by going to annualcreditreport.com, annualcreditreport.com. You get a free complete credit report once a year, but you can do it with each of the three bureaus that report credit. 53% of people in the survey said they would not marry someone with bad credit. That ranks right up there with me with bad teeth. You know, I don't think you have to have all 32 teeth, but it certainly helps. Yeah. 53% said they wouldn't marry someone with bad credit. Are we financial snobs or what? 72% of Americans would reconsider a romantic relationship if the person had unsettled debt, particularly from credit cards. Is there a type of credit that you feel okay with? Your, your loved one getting into, like maybe he got into, uh, broke a leg, didn't have insurance, couldn't pay the bill, ruined his credit for seven years. Is there someone, I mean, that'd have to be like a, way up there. Medical debt's kind of forgivable. Credit card debt, not so much in people's heads, right? So debt is a turnoff, but I highly recommend before you go out and spend money and wine and dine each other and fall in love, find out if the person's a spender or a saver. Uh, marrying a spender when you're a saver will drive you insane, in my opinion. But don't let me get in on your dating scene. So it's interesting. Where do you think that the deal is on credit card debt that some people say that's too much? It's $12,000. So you're well-matched if your credit scores are close to 800. You're well-matched if your credit is awful and it's closer to 600. You can actually see where people have worked on their credit report, and you can see um, where they've lived. I'll show you mine if you show me yours. I'm Rob Black, talking all things financial, money, investing, and more. Catch Rob Black and Rob Black and your money live on the Bay Area Airwaves. Weekday mornings from 7 to 9 on AM 1220 KDOW. And streaming live on the KDOW radio app or KDOW.biz. I'm Rob Black, talking all things financial. Showing my age, I've been listening to you two since my college days or my end of high school days. They still make good music, and I'd still see them live in concert. One of the few bands out there down big bucks to see. Patrick O'Hare, briefing.com. You ever seen U2 live in concert? No, I haven't, but uh, like you, Rob, I was certainly listening to them in college. <laughs> Isn't it? It's, it's, and it was a little bit more rocky, uh, rock and roll feeling, but, oh, we are aging. Uh, big, spe- uh, big speech tonight. Is that going to be a market mover? Do you think the State of the Union out of Trump? You know, it really shouldn't be, I don't believe. Okay. You know, I think that, uh, uh, you know, regrettably, anything that's going to require, you know, uh, you know, proposal, say, for an infrastructure spending bill that's going to require, you know, bipartisan support, probably pretty much DOA. So, um, so there's going to be a lot of typical bluster in the speech, probably some finger pointing. And in the end, I think that the market, just like it has all year, you know, will probably just steer itself around the politics. And uh, and focus on what it uh, has taken a liking to this year, which is really uh, monetary policy and the idea that the Federal Reserve is on the sidelines for the foreseeable future. 
I start my day every morning at briefing.com, page one, your column in particular. And one of the things that surprised me is this week you started throwing out how high the market is up from the, the lows. And today you quoted the S&P 500. It's up 15.9% from its December 24 lows. It doesn't feel like we're rich this year. It doesn't. I still feel like that last year's fall in November, December is uh, kind of making me go, I don't know if I could go to Hawaii. I don't know if I could go on vacation. Um, why is my sentiment so negative right now, would you say? Well, I think because there's, there's enough um, fundamental information out there that does point to uh, you know, a slowing of the economy. And uh, and what you've got going on right now in the stock market, Rob, really is is kind of a, a pricing out of the recession that was priced in in the fourth quarter. You know, things got so negative, and the perspective was so dark in that fourth quarter that the price action kind of started to just feed on itself, and the narrative really took over that you know the economy was likely to be headed for a recession soon, and therefore you were going to see a, a sharp downturn in earnings growth, uh, really an earnings decline, and so. I think people took a step back and uh, and started taking some money off the table, but because they were doing it uh, in a number of very crowded names that uh, you know had some heavy market cap weights, um, you kind of saw that crowd momentum cut the other way, right? That was uh, we were riding high on that through the first nine months of 2018, and and really you know when crowd psychology took over, it really just cut hard the other way. And so what we've seen here early on, start since December 24th, is is really a market that's sort of kind of reorienting itself to the idea that, okay, you know, we're not likely to see a recession, but we are going to see slower growth. Uh, and we got overly negative in the fourth quarter, so we're going to reclaim some of that lost ground. And it's done so in a hurry. And um, by the same token, you've seen crowd psychology and momentum uh, carry things the other way in a in a in rapid fire fashion, and, um, and I think that's where we are. But uh, but the reason it doesn't feel better, I think, is that I mean you do see uh, signs of a slowdown in the housing market and the, the auto market. Uh, obviously, Europe's having some issues. China clearly is slowing down, and so you still have this this. Uh, pervading sense that the U.S., while it might do relatively well versus other economies, it's it's going to be held back uh, in part by this slower growth elsewhere. Um, and so there is reason to question, you know, earnings prospects for 2019, which um, I would add have continued to come down. Uh, earnings growth estimates have continued to come down as the stock market has just continued to power up. It's interesting that you're talking about earnings expectations. Uh, Google Alphabet reported numbers yesterday. They're part of that famed member of FANG, Facebook, Amazon, Netflix, Google Alphabet. Um, what are you thinking about? Like the, the, the big boys aren't, the big four aren't running. Like maybe one or two are, and then maybe one or two are struggling. And we're not getting much leadership from tech. Should we be? And what else should we be looking for for leadership? Well, you know, in, in those days, Rob, it might actually be somewhat of a healthy um, condition that, that they're not, you know, taking over like they had for so long. I think that maybe that was one of the messages that was learned in that fourth quarter route is that when you get into a very crowded trade, uh, you know, things can collapse in a hurry when everyone heads for the exit at the same time. So I think there's maybe a little bit better effort to, uh, you know, diversify um, maybe within the technology sector. And so while, you know, while those, you know, those, those fabled fang names, you know, um, may not be leading the charge like 
they once did, you know, I draw your attention to, you know, the semiconductor group, which has just been terrific. Um, you know, it's up 12.5% year to date. And, and that's with a lot of companies coming out, um, you know, issuing, you know, disappointing first quarter guidance. <laughs> and, but what you've got, uh, you know, the market clinging to is the idea that you're, 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 you're in the midst of a cyclical downturn and that by the second half of the year, everything's going to be resolved and, and everything will be okay. That's, that's what's reflected in that price action within the semiconductor group. But, um, you know, so while, while these, uh, you know, the Apples and the Amazons and Facebooks and the Alphabets maybe, you know, aren't doing as great as, as people have grown accustomed to seeing them doing. Um, you know, you've got six sectors within the SP 500 that are up double digits already this year. <laughs> so, and, and every sector within the SP 500 is, is registering a year to date gain. So, um, so things aren't so bad despite their, uh, you know, their, their underperformance, and, uh, and that could ultimately be a good thing. Yeah, thanks for reminding me about the semiconductors because I do feel that I'm being a little bit more pessimistic than I typically am, and I do feel it's like I said from that route at the end of last year. So that's good to know. Good to know. Um, anything else that you're working on right now that you think we should be uh, incited on? I don't know. If that's the word, but you see where I'm going. <laughs> well, you know, <clears throat> I don't want to rain on the parade necessarily, but you know, uh, one of the messages that you know I've continue to uh, emphasize in briefing.com is that, you know, trying to make this uh, sort of walk this line and, and justifying why the market, you know, could come back like it has, but also trying to justify why it, it probably shouldn't get so carried away with its its optimism right now. And, and it really is, you know, the fact that you have earnings growth decelerating. Um, right now, the first quarter earnings growth estimate is negative. Um, and for the full year, roughly about 5% right now, according to FactSet, uh, but that is likely to be subject to further downward revision. So you have an S&P 500 that's trading close to about 16 times forward 12-month earnings uh, versus, you know, projected earnings growth of, you know, maybe maybe nothing to a low, low single-digit number. So I think we're, you know, running to the upper bounds of this fair valuation for the market, and, and coincidentally, we're also seeing the S&P 500 start to test its 200-day moving average, and so uh, probably wouldn't be surprised if you see things sort of slow down here a little bit with this rally and for the market to, you know, move into a consolidation period as it kind of waits for that that fundamental justification to take another leg up. Well, that doesn't sound great, but cold weather finally snapped in Chicago, right? That it did, which was a great thing. <laughs> I felt horrible. I didn't see the forecast. I knew you were going to get hit with that polar vortex thing. And I, I kind of like, yeah, it's kind of nice and warm in California. And then I was like, oh, it's 30 degrees below let in me, Chicago. That's not cool. Yeah, let me let me tell you, minus 50 below, it, it's actually pretty cold. <laughs> so um, I don't wish it on anyone. That's one area that I do like about the weather. Um, it messed up the economy. People didn't go to work. People stayed home. People, uh, you know, pipes froze and they have to get this fixed. So bad weather could sometimes equal financial transactions, which is interesting to note, right? That it is. Yep. Thanks for joining me today. We'll talk soon. That's the one, the only briefing.com. I start my morning each and every day looking at Patrick O'Hare's stuff. Um, I got to be careful how that sounds, uh, but he does a pretty nice job of saying, okay, here's the, the fact sheet for you today. This is what we're looking at. This is what happened yesterday. 
Uh, we've had some time to digest things. We looked at the earnings report last night after close that uh, Google, I hate Alphabet the name. And uh, if you type in at briefing.com Google, ticker symbol G-O-O-G, you'll see that they wrote up some reports last night. And you'll see that they got uh, analyst quotes on the quarter. Canaccord Genuity said, we think continued strength in advertising and other revenues should drive consolidated revenue growth in high teens over the next three years, which coupled with moderated gross margin pressure sets the stage for solid profit growth. Looking ahead, we are modestly raising our advertising estimates, leaving uh, the numbers unchanged. $1,250 price target. It's currently at about 1130 So they pull all that data together for you. You'll notice that a lot of the overall, a lot of the, the numbers have come down. One analyst cut his target from 1400 to 1300 One analyst cuts it from uh, uh, 1135 down to 1100 Now, again, should you go out and invest just because some analyst said something? No. But it is kind of nice for me to start seeing uh, trends. You know, analysts were expecting too much from Apple. They underdelivered. How did the stock recover? So, higher expenses really hurt Google. And you know, the big fear on Google at this point in time is Amazon is taking advertising, and Amazon can sell advertising and tell the people on the other end, we are at the point of sale. So, do you want to advertise with Google or do you want to advertise with us? We have a shopping solution that's one click away from when they see your product. That's pretty powerful. That's why Google goes higher over time. Maybe not forever, but over time, short term, I like the stock. I'm Rob Black, talking all things financial money, investing, and more. Find me online at Rob Black Show, Twitter, Rob Black Show, YouTube, Rob Black Show. Don't forget, there's another hour of today's show to listen to. Find it now at kdow.biz or on the KDOW radio app. I'm Rob Black, talking all things financial, money, investing, and more. One of the areas that I like to talk about on occasion is there's good advice and there's bad advice. And I would be very cautious working with financial planners or people that you don't necessarily know how the business works. There's Ameriprise financial offices all around the Bay Area. They've been growing quickly, to say the least. Um, it's a lot of independent broker-dealers. Um, and they're, they're recruiting people. Last year, hiring was up big. And they're recruiting some more experienced advisors. Now, here's where I think it's, it's worthy of start talking, you know, and being blunt. And this is a little difficult for me to do. I'd rather work with an experienced real estate broker than a brand new real estate broker. I'd rather work with an experienced financial person than someone who's brand new. Everyone has to start somewhere, but I don't want them. Because when I was 20 and I worked with people, I had to work with people that weren't experienced. And it was a really bad experience. Um, a lot of markups, a lot of uh, fat commissions, a lot of product that they didn't really know what they were talking about. They couldn't really explain how it worked. Like, don't you want financial security for your family? So I'm not a big fan of Ameriprise Financial Advisors. 
or Stifle or Satara. It's not my thing. It's, it's to me, when they're hiring that many people, they're basically saying, let's get a lot of people in the building and have them work the phones. Hey, Zachary, come on in. We'll hire you. You look like a fine young man. Uh, you're 25. So here's what you want to do. You want to get your Rolodex. <laughs> He's like, what's a Rolodex? Get your iPhone. Go through the contacts list. And start calling all your friends and see if they can't, won't open up a $1,000 mutual fund or a $2,000 IRA. And then what you're learning is sometimes you're putting the funds like the American funds, and that's 5.75% sales commission. Ameriprise loves it. They just hired a punk kid out of college who wants a job and doesn't know what to do, and mom and dad are pressuring them. Go sell a product. And they don't have to pay you a lot because it's all commission-driven. So I would be very, very cautious. Now, again, not everyone at Ameriprise is this way. That's why I think you should take time to get to know a financial person. I think that's one of the things I've done with this show is you've got to know me. And through the years, you know that if I say things like watch out for annuities, they could be high-fee contact con- uh, uh, product. They could be contracts that are tough to get out of. They could be vehicles that are expensive to maintain. And that's what they all, I mean, all th- that, those three things are what I have problems with annuities with. Now, I'm not against all annuities. There are some low-cost or no-cost annuities out there. But you're not going to be sold them by your, your 25-year-old you know, buddy next door. Oh, and the worst part is when you see someone in their first suit ever trying to sell you product on financial product. And you're like, that's the first suit you've ever worn, right? Well, I had one when my 14 my dad died. So I would just be cautious. Again, there's nothing inherently wrong with people that work there. It's just, it's a stepping stone to something bigger. And if they haven't moved on, maybe they're not very good. Or maybe they're pretty comfortable selling pretty average product. So, and to me, that's kind of a sad story that I just told. Because I think the industry turns some people off when they're younger. You know, when I was 20, I, and I had some bad experiences with a friend of mine who just got into the industry. I never wanted to, like, I, I was like, you told me it would go up, or you said that, or you, my expectation, like, I didn't, ex- when you're spending $5.75 to buy $100 of a mutual fund, no, go get an index fund that has almost no expenses. I, don't, I think wealth accumulation could be easier if you're not caught up in emotion, like greed and fear. When I was 20, I, I was like, I didn't know anything about it, so... Maybe I'll just, you know, hire someone that does or work with someone that does. He has to know more than me. Trust me, two or three books, you're well on your way to financial information. Um, let me know. I can send you out a copy of, you know, some of the, the material that I've put together. If you get something like Barron's or the Wall Street Journal and you read it on occasion, the headlines... You know, I, I know that's not the easiest thing to do because you probably want to play Fortnite or watch the Super Bowl or talk about how bad the Super Bowl was or wasn't. But that's an issue. So I'd be careful with who you work with. And just understand that if they look like they're green and entry level, you probably want to get away from them. Same thing with real estate agents for me. Um, I've got one of the most disgusting videos that I've ever seen. And I'll, I'll, I'll share it with you. It's Someone sent me a realtor... 
and they're, they're all around the office at Christmas time, and they're talking about Amazon is coming to town. And they're singing a song, Am, you better not wait, you better buy now. Amazon is come, and the, the production is pretty good. It's pretty good. Like there's at least forty, fifty people dressed as elves and stuff in the in the video. But it's so offensive. Um, hey, I'm gonna get you know a three percent royalty, three uh, percent off you. That transaction where you're gonna go buy a house for a million dollars, I'm gonna pull in thirty thousand bucks, easy. You got to be really, really cautious with this kind of stuff. Do you see why they're they're positive and, and happy? I know many realtors who don't own a home. They'll never tell you that they don't own a home. But it's not that easy sometimes to buy a million dollar house and to turn it into a cute song parody. And take a look at what's happening with Long Island right now. Amazon's coming to Long Island and Crystal City, Virginia. Long Island, obviously, New York. Um. Some of the bureaucrats up there have said, you know, we may not let them, we may not let them build. So you may have just chased performance. You may have paid a 10, 20% markup and it's wrong. Don't trust realtors. If you have one that you really, really like and you've known for 20 or 30 years and maybe who grew up in that neighborhood, awesome. That's what I have. You can find me online at Rob Black Show, Twitter Rob Black Show, YouTube Rob Black Show. Three-star general, Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal record to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.